God would draw you to himself in the midst of this. But hear these words from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I just want to break this down briefly so you remember where we're going. It's got three ideas I want us to explore here today. First of all, I want us to see that Jesus' reign is eternal. We're just going to sit in this one phrase, that Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down. There's so many other things we could explore in these three verses, but it's just this one phrase I want to sit in today. Jesus sat down. What does this tell us? Again, first of all, that Jesus' reign is eternal. Why? Because his work is finished. By this, I don't just mean done, but I I mean sufficient. Jesus' work was enough, sufficient. What's this mean for us so we can rest? Jesus' reign is eternal because his work is finished so we can rest. That's where we're going today. Let me start with that first one. Jesus' reign is eternal. This is good news, good news. You might know right now, we're about a couple weeks away from the best season of the year. It's not just fall, it's college football is about to begin. I know I'll get some amens from some of you on this, right? I'm eager for football to begin. I love college football, and just bear with me. I am a huge Ohio State fan. I love watching the Buckeyes. They are my team, and I'm lonely here in central Kansas. (laughs) All you K-State, KU people, just just bear with me for a quick second as I talk about my team, okay? Just a quick second. The best season, if you are an Ohio State fan, was probably 2014 to 2015. This was the first year of the college playoff, where rather than just having two teams play in a title, they started with four and did a little playoff. And in the first game of that playoff, we took on the perennial powerhouse of Alabama. And I was not optimistic for this game. And we started out a little bit behind. It was ugly. We were going through the trenches. But we fought our way to a 42-35 to victory. This is really on the back of a man named Ezekiel Elliott who pounded his way to 230 yards in a game. You can tell I love this game, right? Still want to go back and watch this. And we beat Alabama, and unfortunately haven't beat them since. But we got through the first round of the playoff. And the second round, we beat Oregon for the national title in the first ever playoff game. So good. The best season if you're an Ohio State fan, one that we still love dearly. But here's the thing about sports championships and why I make you hear about my Buckeyes. Here's the thing about sports championships. They last only one year. Hardly even that, to be honest. About eight months before the next season begins. And you have to prove yourself all over again. And yes, you have a championship that you can appreciate and cherish from last year, but that does not make you a champion again this year. 
You, you could still treasure that and look back on that, but that will not make you a champion today. You have to keep proving yourself. And this haunts so many players and coaches because there's always new talent coming up. There's new recruiting classes to other universities. And no matter how well you did last year, your job is still on the line next year. You have to keep proving yourself year after year. And hear me, you cannot rest. You cannot take a seat. You have to keep earning your title. It's not just this way with sports. It's also this way with companies. Do you remember hearing about a store called Blockbuster? Remember when this existed? Back in the 90s, Blockbuster was a multi-billion dollar company. And for some of you, you may not remember this, but to watch a movie, you'd actually have to go to a store and walk up and down the aisles and look at different titles to choose what you wanted to watch. So we had a family video in my hometown, but Blockbuster was the king, and they had stores everywhere. Multi-billion dollar company. Until a thing called Netflix came along. And they unraveled. Did you know there's only one Blockbuster store left in the entire United States now? In Bend, Oregon. <laughs> it's like a, a tourist attraction. It's the only reason why it's still going. <laughs> so they went from being the king to being absolutely nothing. You cannot rest. You cannot take a seat. You have to keep earning your title. It's the same thing with countries and empires. Egypt used to have a massive empire that they controlled for centuries until they were defeated by the Babylonians, who were defeated by the Persians, who were defeated by the Greeks, who were defeated by the Romans, who were defeated by the Germanic tribes of Europe, and on and on and on it goes. You have to keep proving yourself. You cannot rest. You cannot take a seat. You have to keep earning your title. Or again, it's the same thing with celebrities. Madonna shared very openly in an interview years ago that she felt this weight of needing to prove herself again and again. No matter how great the album, no matter how good the performance, she felt like she had to come out again and again and be the best in order to have people's attention. You have to keep proving yourself. You cannot rest. You cannot take a seat. You have to keep earning your title. This is true of everyone, hear me, except for Jesus. Did you see what we read this morning? That who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. There is one who has achieved a victory that is not going anywhere. There's somebody that has a title that can't be taken, and who has a throne that cannot be shaken. There's one who is won for us, and that victory cannot be undone. That's why in Hebrews it says, Jesus sat down. He can take a rest. He can take a seat, because his title's not going anywhere. Do you see this? There's one who has a victory that is assured and done. And his reign is eternal. And it's not going anywhere and it cannot be undone. Jesus' reign is established. His preeminence, his reign, his glory is not going anywhere. This is a beautiful truth our hearts need to hear. Unlike everything else in our world, 
where you must keep proving yourself Jesus' reign is established and it will go on forever. This is beautiful. But pause with me. How does this work? Every other title has to be defended. Every other victory, an empire, country, person can be challenged. How is it that Jesus' reign is eternal? How can he go unchallenged? This brings us to our second idea here. Jesus' reign is eternal because his work is finished. It's sufficient. Man, this is good news. It is sufficient. If you have read through the Bible before, you've probably encountered these long descriptions in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers about the tabernacle. And later this is going to be about the temple. But this is the place where God's people came to make sacrifices. They'd come every day to make sacrifices. These long descriptions, it describes the lamps, describes tables, altars, describes various utensils. It even describes the fabric that the tent was made with. So much detail. But in all of these long descriptions, you will find nothing about a seat or a bench or a chair for the priests who work in the tabernacle to sit on. All these descriptions of all this minutia in the tabernacle, but you will not find a single chair described in the tabernacle. No place for a priest to sit in the midst of their work. They had to stand all day in their work. Now this is not entirely true. You might recall there is one seat described called the mercy seat. You'll hear this not quite a chair. The mercy seat. And this was a golden, beautiful cover on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the Ten Commandments and other things were put in this Ark. It's meant to be the center of God's presence in Israel, the most holy place. And there are these two angels called cherubim that were said to be reaching out their wings over the top of this cover. It said in between these two angels and their wings, that place on the cover was called the mercy seat. And this is where once a year, a high priest would come in and sprinkle the blood of a bull on the day of atonement. So every year, sprinkling blood. But clearly, this is not a place that a priest could sit. It's the holy of holies. It's not even a chair. Interestingly, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it says this is where the Lord Almighty was enthroned. The God among his people was sitting and enthroned on this mercy seat. But although Scripture describes this mercy seat, there is, again, no place for a priest to sit. They had to stand day after day because their work was not finished. It was not sufficient. Stay with me here. For instance, day after day, morning after morning and evening, people would come to the tabernacle or to the temple for morning and evening prayer. And the priests every day would sacrifice a spotless lamb in order to purify ceremonially the people. But they had to do this day after day because this sacrifice, hear me, was never sufficient to actually cleanse the hearts and conscience of the people. 
Ceremonially, it made them pure, but actually in their heart, it could do nothing. So the priests had to stand day after day after day making these sacrifices because they could not take a seat because their work was not sufficient. Do you see this? Or again, every day various people would come to the tabernacle, not just for prayer, but to make their own sacrifices for their personal sin. So people would come with a dove or a lamb or a goat or a bull and they would make a sacrifice in worship to God for their own sin. But this we know now, it was just a picture, an illustration that blood and death was needed for forgiveness, but none of these sacrifices were actually able to bring forgiveness. None of them were actually able to cleanse people's hearts. It was not sufficient, so hear me. The priest had to stand day after day, for person after person, because their work was not finished, it was not sufficient. Or again, once a year on the Day of Atonement, as I shared, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a bull, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the whole nation, done every year. But this, too, is just a picture of God's work. It was never able to cleanse the nation and actually bring forgiveness of sins. This is why year after year, the priests would stand, even the high priest would stand in their work making sacrifices because it was never sufficient, never finished. Year after year, person after person, day after day, the priest would stand until we hear this of Jesus. It says beautifully in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, I have this up here for you. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs their religious duties. Again and again, they make the same sacrifices that can never bring forgiveness of sins. Then it says this, but when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. He made for all time one, one sacrifice for sins and he's done standing and he takes a seat. Why is this? Because Jesus' work is finished. Jesus' work is sufficient. Whereas every other priest had to stand day after day, year after year, for person after person, standing and standing because what they were doing was never sufficient. You can never take a seat. It's never enough. There's more to be done. But when Jesus came, when Jesus was crucified, and he's buried, and he's raised from the dead, and he ascends to the Father's hand, it says he took a seat because what he did was sufficient. Every other priest could not offer anything that would actually cleanse our hearts and bring forgiveness. But with his one death for us, this priest made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Jesus, hear me, in his one death, he brought forgiveness for you and I so we can actually be made right with God. And this is why we are told he is sitting. 
There's nothing left for Jesus to fulfill. There's nothing left for him to do. So no more year after year, day after day, for person after person. There is one sacrifice for all time, for every person who trusts in him. This is the gospel. This is also the power of the mercy seat. You, you remember how this was the place where it said the Lord was enthroned and that they would bring the blood of a bull every year on the day of atonement. Because this was always a picture of this is how mercy is obtained. This is where mercy comes from. One day there will be blood that's shed that will be enough and mercy will be satisfied and obtained. And beautifully, we now see in Jesus, when his blood is shed, mercy is finally and fully and freely obtained for you and I. And now he who is, if you will, he who is mercy embodied takes a seat. Mercy is fully obtained. What a good thing for us. So Jesus' reign is eternal. <laughs> It's not going anywhere. It's because his work alone is sufficient. But now let me draw out for us what this means for us. That you and I can be at rest. One of the signature emotions of our age and society today, I'd say, is anxiety, stress, worry. Just a couple years ago and experiencing a global pandemic, it's understandable that all of us would now feel the tentativeness of life a little bit more. Even with the recent war in Ukraine, we'd sense how fragile the global order is. You also have in the last several years, our political situation has gotten even more divisive. So if you're a Republican or Democrat or independent, all of us feel the strain of our political situation even more. How great the division is, how great the disagreements are, how great the threats we see from our opponents. Everyone's exhausted. Or again, even culturally, we've had massive shifts in the last few decades that have left some people feeling overwhelmed, completely taken by surprise at these changes, and others feel disillusioned that they're not going faster. So for person after person, we feel this anxiety of change in our culture. And it's not just the macro, it's also what's happening in us personally. Hear me. For so many parents who are raising kids, you have to make decision after decision of what's the best school and choice. For students, you're now coming to a campus having to make decisions about friends, roommates, majors. We have business owners and so many hard workers in this church who no doubt feel the weight of finances and questions. Every person carries a burden of anxiety and question after question. How am I going to handle this? What's the best choice here? How do I make this marriage better? How do I parent better? How do I do these finances? Decision after decision so that it's no surprise so much anxiety is gripping our culture. And I know that yes, we have been given good responsibility for our lives. That God wants us to be wise. But is it not possible that perhaps the reason so many of us are overwhelmed by anxiety is that we are not convinced Jesus is on the throne? Maybe the reason we're so worn down and carrying so much on our shoulders is because at the end of the day, we think we're in control, that it's on us. 
that maybe there's a degree of freedom that comes into our hearts as we see we have a good and faithful Savior who is sure and steadfast, and he's seated on the throne. This breathes life into me, that I know that not everything rests on my shoulders. What a nightmare. But I must come again and again and say, Jesus, I'm so glad it is you who are reigning. And hear me, I may get anxious, Jesus never does. Nothing overwhelms him. Nothing catches him off guard. There's no surprise for him. He's not wringing his hands in heaven, worried about your life or the life of this church or this county. He's not overwhelmed. He is sufficient and he's reigning and he's not going anywhere. So why is my heart so overwhelmed? If you can't take Jesus off the throne, all will be well. So I should take a deep breath. I should take a deep breath and say, God, remind me again, not just to say that you reign, but to functionally trust you and look to you. So hang with me in this. Call to mind what you've most been wrestling with this week. Maybe it's not anxiety for you. Maybe it's anger. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's control issues in your life. Think back on what's been gripping you this week and simply take that to this truth. Jesus' reign is eternal. How might that change your perspective? How, how might you need to own and praise God for that truth? Lord, I might be insufficient. I, I do not have this all together. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I know you are king. What I mean by this is this does not necessarily mean every circumstance in your life will suddenly become wonderful, right? <laughs> I don't mean suddenly everything will be easy. What I do mean is we have a king who's reigning who promises to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. So even if you're overwhelmed, you are with me and you know what you're doing in my life and you call me to be at rest and to trust you, to trust you. Do you see how important this is for our hearts? How needed is this every day? God intends for you to be at rest, to be full of hope in him, rather than running here and there, full of questions and anxiety, saying, come to me. Come to me to find your hope and your rest in your life. We're going to take communion here in just a little bit, so I'm going to have some people that are going to go prepare that right now, and I'll invite the band back up as we're about to do worship here. But if you feel a weight of guilt on your heart, if you feel that shame and conviction in you, hear this good truth that Jesus is seated. If you feel like there's something left for you to do to prove yourself to God and to be welcomed by him, you need to hear this again. Jesus is seated. It's sufficient. It's done. It's not about what you're able to do to prove yourself to God. Jesus has already done the work for you and is calling you to trust him. This is how our guilt is taken care of. This is how our sin is atoned for. This is how our hearts are brought to rest. Jesus' work is sufficient. Trust him. To help us take this in, we're going to take communion again this morning. This is a, a reminder, a picture for us of Jesus' death for us. His blood poured out for us. It's his work. Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John that his body is food for us. He says, 
Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Last I checked, I did get hungry yesterday, right? Jesus is not talking about physical hunger and thirst. He's saying in your soul, you must come to him to be satisfied. That his work for us is real food and nourishment for our inner being. So this morning as you come up, if you are following Jesus, if you are trusting him with your life, we invite you to take communion with us. And this is a statement of, Lord, I am trusting in your reign. I'm trusting in your work that it's sufficient for me but I'm not leaning on my own goodness or what I can offer you or what I can do in my life. I'm trusting in your death for me, Jesus. That's my hope and my confidence. And you'll have a couple up here that will have bread on this aisle for you all. And we'll have two, uh, two people over here. This will be our gluten-free spot. So if you're needing gluten-free bread, bread, come through this aisle. It'll be the first station here. And then we have gluten, uh, again, other bread. So gluten-free will be right here. I'm being confusing. The other spots uh, are normal bread. So we just ask that you get up and come down these aisles. Grab the bread, and you'll hear the person speak, the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll dip that in the juice, and they'll say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And you can be free to feel free to take that right in that moment, or you can walk back to your seat and take it later. But again, it's the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. So as we sing this song, feel free to come forward and grab communion at any point. Let this be another reminder for you of the gospel. And this would you pray with me here. Lord, you help our hearts and our minds slow down, that we sense the significance and the holiness of communion that you really want us to trust you. And so you give us these ways like eating bread and drinking juice as a way for us to say with our bodies, Lord, I trust you. Nothing else, you alone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So God, speak to your people again. Bring your encouragement of the gospel to their hearts as they take this communion. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I hear the Savior's